Well, hello, Nancy. Hi, Doctor. How's the osteoporosis medicine I prescribed working for you? Well, it's fine, Doctor. But you know, I saw this commercial for something called Avista, Reloxifene Hydrochloride. Yes, Avista. It's prescription only, and it's the one medicine that treats osteoporosis and reduces the risk of invasive breast cancer in postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. It's important to note, though, that Avista does not treat breast cancer, prevent its return, or reduce the risk of all forms of breast cancer. Am I at risk for invasive breast cancer? I don't have a family history. Well, family history is important, but there are other risk factors that I need to take into consideration, including your advancing age and personal history. And based on my risk assessment, you may be at risk. So you think Avista is right for me? Well, individual results may vary, but I think for you the benefits of Avista would outweigh the potential risks. Let's switch you today. Well, thank you, doctor. I'm glad I asked about it. <laughs> no problem. Avista increases the risk of blood clots and should not be used by women who have or have had blood clots in the legs, lungs, or eyes. Avista may increase the risk of dying from stroke in women at high risk for heart disease or stroke. Talk to your doctor about all your medical conditions. Seek care immediately if you have leg pain or warmth, swelling of the legs, hands, or feet, chest pain, shortness of breath, or a sudden vision change. Do not use Avista if you are pregnant, nursing, or may become pregnant, as it may cause fetal harm. Women with liver or kidney disease should use Avista with caution. Avista should not be taken with estrogens. Side effects may include hot flashes, leg cramps, and swelling. For more information about Avista, contact your Lilly sales representative, visit www.avista.com, see our ad in Good Housekeeping, or call 1-888-44-AVISTA. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Too late to vaccinate? The HPV vaccine for women aged 26 to 45. With me today is Dr. Sharmila Makija, the Director of Gynecologic Oncology at Emory University in Atlanta. With the divorce rate at 50% and the association of human papillomas virus not only with cervical squamous cell carcinoma, but also cervical adenocarcinoma, vulvar, vaginal, anal, bladder, and even lung cancer, the pending approval of Gardasil for women over the age of 26 is appropriate and probably long overdue, but there are a lot of questions. We know, first of all, that this quadrivalent vaccine protects against the four strains of HPV that are responsible for at least 70% of cervical cancers and 90% of genital warts. But we also know that the highest prevalence of HPV is in the 20 to 24-year-old woman. So, first of all, there's an article in JAMA February 07 that looked at the prevalence of HPV among females in the United States and found a surprising high incidence among women older than 26. Can you comment on on those findings? Yes. In fact, there was even an earlier study back in 2003 that looked at the baseline prevalence of genital warts. So having a clinical consequence of being exposed to HPV all across the age groups. And what that was based on was data from privately insured women that seeked treatment for genital warts. What was interesting is, as you mentioned, in the 20 to 24-year-old women, that was the highest prevalence but you continue to see an incidence of genital warts above that age. 
What this is really actually telling us is because it's the privately insured women, this may be actually an underestimation. It's probably the tip of the iceberg when you really think about it. That's right. So, in fact, this might be higher because a lot of women may feel uncomfortable going to their private OBGYN and discussing an STD-related disease and going out to general clinics instead. So I think it's very important to address this issue in the older or the adult women population. Can you talk a little bit about the numbers in terms of the prevalence of HPV among these older women? Do we know? Well, what's interesting is we know that the prevalence overall, there's probably about 20 million cases overall in the U.S. that are usually quoted. Now, specifically in the adult women population, we don't have an accurate number. But what was interesting is that, and I was a part of this particular study with Mark, in the adult women population, which was the 24 to 45-year-old. And when we really collected the data, these women were 25. And one of the initial issues was to find out what is the baseline prevalence in this adult population of women based on these previous studies that we just discussed. So what we found is that when we looked at the baseline prevalence in this population of women, that almost two-thirds or 67% of these women were naive to any of the HPV types. So that there may be a benefit for vaccinating this group because the other studies show that they are at risk of developing mm-hmm. HPV. If a young woman has a competent immune system, studies suggest that about 90% of HPV infections are cleared within two years without any treatment at all. Is this also true of the over 26-year-old population, or do you think that there's a greater likelihood of progression to invasive cancer? That's actually a very good point and a point of discussion. One of my concerns about this whole thing is that a woman, you know, is now listening to oh, I have HPV, I'm going to get cervical cancer. That's not true. Mm -hmm. It's the persistence of this high-risk type. So not only are you exposed, are you not able to clear it, and do you have a high-risk type? So you're right. The majority of these women who are exposed to HPV are going to clear this. And the other point is, as you age, your immune response does decline. So in fact, you know, with your point it's well taken. Are these women actually not going to be able to fight off, and are they at actually a greater risk of developing the sequelae from developing HPV? That's something that still has to be investigated, and that's why this adult women population was studied with the Gardasil. And in fact, like I said before, about two-thirds of these women are naive to any of these HPV types. But in fact, when they were given the vaccine, those women who were given the vaccine did not develop any of the pre-invasive disease. So they are protected, it appears, from developing any of the sequela from HPV, and that's really the end point. It's not necessarily do they mount an immune response or is it at the same level as a younger woman. In the end, they were protected. And what about the impact of tobacco in this population? Yes, very much so. With any type of disease, you know, it's not only just being exposed to one risk factor, it's the compilation or the multitude of all of these. So, you know, you're exposed to HPV, a high risk, you can't clear it, and then you're a smoker. We know that cervical cancer, that's, that's a, a huge risk factor. And so now whether or not smoking and getting the vaccine, does that change anything? We don't know, but we do know in the adult women population, 75% of those, those women were non-smokers.
Yeah. You know, and you talked about who's already been exposed. And, and this is a, a huge issue because we know, of course, that the most effective time to vaccinate is prior to exposure. And if you think it's hard to find a 20-year-old virgin, you know, try finding a 40-year-old virgin. But, you know, the original clinical trials for Gardasil looked at the likelihood of a young sexually active woman being naive to at least one virus type and found that there was a mere 0.1% of the sexually active population that had been exposed to all four viral subtypes, which, of course, led to the rationale for not testing for the presence of HPV subtypes prior to vaccination. So the big question is, in the older population that has had this opportunity for increased exposure over time, number one, do we know the percentage that are naive to one, two, three, or four subtypes? And What's the likelihood that a woman has already been exposed to all four subtypes? And I guess to get to the original question, is it too late to vaccinate? And those are all excellent points. And in fact, that's what was one of the main goals for the testing in the adult women. And frankly, I'll just tell you from, I ran both types of stuff. I ran the the 16 to 26-year-old population as well as the adult women. So what would happen is, the mothers would come in saying, well, please vaccinate my daughter on this trial, but I want to receive it. So there was a a great concern that women were already seeking out help or guidance with this. So, you know, you can't just go straight to vaccinating that population of women without testing. So we previously discussed that the baseline prevalence was still that 67% were naive to any of the types. And what we found were that very similar to the young adult women that were 16 to 26-year-olds, as you mentioned, that only 0.1% were exposed to all four types. In the adult population of women that were 25 to 45 years of age, that number was 0.4%. So there is a need for the vaccination in that group because they are not exposed to all four types. And it also confirms what we're doing with the younger women, that there's no reason to test older women for presence of subtypes prior to vaccination. That's absolutely right. I think that as you get older, you want to know, well, what type do I have? And I can understand. I have patients that ask that all the time, but there is no need for that. It's very costly, and there's no need for that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a discussion on the pending FDA approval for the HPV vaccine in women aged 26 to 45 on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sharmila Makija. Dr. Makija, I think it's unrealistic to think that catch-up vaccinations are going to incur in the entire 26 to 45-year-old population, and many have suggested that it might be appropriate to use risk factors to predict who would most benefit. So what are your thoughts on this, and can you comment on which risk factors are known to make an older woman more likely to benefit? Well, I think that, just to back up, that the FDA approval age for this vaccine is currently 9 to 26-year-old women, and the ACIP, or the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practice, or ACIP, recommends vaccinating 11 to 12-year-olds, and the catch-up is actually 13 to 26. So, We almost look at it as two different populations. You have the young women, and then you have the adult women that are the 25 to 45-year-olds. So in my mind, at least, as someone who helped run the trials, it's a whole different category. So I almost consider them to not be in a catch-up vaccination group, but yet their own population Mm -hmm. of women that need vaccination. And part of that, too, is what we discussed before, that we saw that they are mostly naive to all four types and could benefit from receiving it and are at high risk for developing HPV in the future. But what are those risk factors if you were going to identify a particular at-risk population? 
So I think that it's, it's hard to just say, okay, well, if you are in not in a monogamous relationship, you know, you should be vaccinated. Because in a very practical manner, when you're taking care of patients, I think it's very uncomfortable or hard for them to explain to you, well, I had an affair or my husband was cheating on me, I might be exposed to this. You know, socially, it's changed where you're, you're seeing women that are now in a divorce situation or dating again at an older age or delaying marriage until they're a little bit older. So I think those women in general are at risk. But I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Mahija, who has enlightened us on the scope and burden of HPV infection in women over the age of 26 and how the HPV vaccine can impact this population. For a complete program guide and podcasts, visit ReachMD.com. For comments or questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.